Thank you, Sean. Um, we were praying this morning, and I realized that I am so confident in what the Lord has been saying to me, but I am not very con confident that I will translate it well to you. So um, thank you for those who have been praying and listen with that in mind, that grace. So listen, um, despite the messenger, sometimes we have to listen to the message, right? Um, I was thinking about this morning about a, a story way back in 1961 where there was a young leader and he was of the youngest to step into the presidency of the United States. He was actually the first uh, Roman Catholic individual that people had nominated into the presidency. And it was a time in the life of the nation of great distress with communism and the Cold War and nuclear threat. So there was a, a, a great time of insecurity and even fear among the nation. And this young leader represented hope for the nation. This young leader was John F. Kennedy. And he gave an inaugural, inaugural address, which I just listened to, and historians would say it was one of the most significant addresses in the history of our nation. And there's one line from that address that probably many of you, uh, most of you, would recognize. And that line was right in the midst or, or maybe even towards the end. I was just listening to the address. He said this, And so my fellow Americans... Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Yes, I can hear some of you saying that. that. That line was there. What JFK did is he changed the question. In a powerful, memorable way, is he changed the question in which people bring to the nation. And yes, representing that hope and that direction, and he made that switch, and people, we, we can remember it today. What I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to change the question. If you don't remember anything else from the message, I want you to remember this question. And I want you to apply it to church. Oftentimes, when we, we come to church, we think, what does this church have for me, right? That's natural. That's okay, not, not wholly wrong. That's part of human nature. We, we ask the question, what does the church have for us? All right, oftentimes that's, that is rooted in preference. And again, not all bad. In fact, coming this morning, I had a few folks that shared some of their preferences with me just this morning. Helpful for this message. And for them, I said, I'd like us to change the question. And here's the question I'd like us to ask, in fact, that I've been asking, is this, what does Jesus want from the church? What does Jesus desire from our church? What kind of church would put a smile on Jesus' face? What kind of church would make him delight as he looked down in the ministries and the life of the church that would bring him great delight? Isn't that a good question to ask? I mean, after all, who's, who thought up the idea of church? Jesus, yes. Yes, he thought up the idea of church. He established the church. He raised up leaders and he said, now go be the church, right? Isn't that a good question that we would say, yeah, what, what does he want from the church? What are the things that he's longing? What would it look like if we strived to ask that question for the next several years as a community of faith? Wouldn't that be exciting? And we, and we move to that place and, you know what, I don't know. Let's ask Jesus what he thinks about that and take our marching orders from him. 
Now, now friends, I wrestle a little bit with uh, sometimes my role as the lead pastor because I know I've been placed in a position to lead and yet I believe wholeheartedly that each and every one of you has the Spirit of God, whether you realize it or not. And he's speaking to you. And what he's saying to you is important and valuable to me. And I'm not asking the question, what does Eric want in a church? Though I'd like to many times. Okay, I ask it, but I don't stay there for a long time. (laughs) But I feel like the Lord has been speaking for the last several years in a way that would give some shape and understanding and perspective of what he's wanting in the church and specifically SCC. And that's what I want to share with you this morning is some of that perspective. And I'm just going to skim the top of it and there's much. I was going to come and share a 21-year vision with you. And then I threw it by some pastors and they're like, Eric, 21, come on. You know, and I'm like, all right, negotiated down to seven with the Lord. But, it, but I, I just bring that up because I believe that these are um, foundational principles of the church that Jesus is looking for. And he wants us to wrestle with them and, and roll them out and then engage in them. And friends, I'm asking you, as you hear this, just, just to give you up front, I'm going to ask you, invite you to build this kind of church with me. Wherever you're at, whether this is your first Sunday, a long time, wherever you're at in in your commitment level, I'm asking if you would consider to build this kind of church, a church that puts a smile on Jesus' face. Now, I find some, some beautiful picture of this idea of a church that Jesus delights in in the book of Acts chapter 11. Would you turn with me? If you've brought your Bibles, wonderful. encourage you to continue to do that. Um, If you haven't, there are some Bibles located in the seats underneath those seats in front of you. So we're going to be looking at um, chapter 11, and it is a story of a church, a church in Antioch that is formed and shaped really, first and foremost, out of persecution. It was a a crucial time in the life of the church capital C, and Stephen was martyred, killed, and there's some persecution that's happening, and, um, and the followers of Jesus are spread out. And we get to hear, starting in, in chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 19, what happens as they're scattered. Verse 19. Acts 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. There's a tension in the general church right now. Many believed that um, the, the, the gospel of Jesus was primarily or only for the Jewish people. All right, and the, the church was wrestling with that. They weren't done with the wrestling. So many who were spreading, they'd go to a new city like Phoenicia and they'd share, but only with the Jews about Jesus. However, verse 20, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. They take a little bit of a risk. They might get in trouble with the church back in Jerusalem because they start saying, boy, I don't know if we're supposed to share about Jesus with this person. He's a Greek. And they're like, let's do it anyways. And they share, they take a risk, sacrificial, with the person of Jesus, the message of Jesus, and let's see what happens as they take a risk. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw that the grace of God, what the grace of God had done, 
he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people had been, were brought to the Lord. So if you pause right there, all of a sudden we've got a church in Antioch, Right? And you've got a, probably a multicultural church uh, with Greeks and Jews and anyone else there. They're sharing with this. And then that Jerusalem sends one of their leaders. He was a teacher and eventually an apostle. And he blesses that. And they've got a church, right? A vibrant church. God's not done with them yet. In fact, it's Barnabas that decides to perhaps step this up just a little and it says, verse 25, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And it goes to, Saul was there because Saul eventually becomes the apostle Paul. And he recognized something in Saul. In fact, Saul was at first persecuting the church. And then he has a conversion experience. And he starts talking about Jesus. And no one liked him at first, not even the apostles. They were afraid of him. They doubted his conversion, but eventually they received. But then the Jews really did not like Saul, and they began to persecute him, and they try and kill him, and the church shipped Saul off to Tarsus. Well, Barnabas now is in the midst of this new church, and he remembers Saul, and he goes and gets him, and he brings him to Antioch, okay? Let's keep reading. Um, uh, again, verse 25, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. In fact, the, the term Christian was probably initially a derogatory term it meant to be uh, dismissive to them and hurtful. Oh, and they loved it. It was the first time they were called little Christ ones. Yeah, that's who we are. First time. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. All right, so some more leaders, leaders that were gifted in a different way than Barnabas, were more prophetically gifted. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So if you get a picture of this church, you have ministry that is flowing here. Really, this has moved beyond just an ordinary community church. It has become a ministry center where you've got ministry that is happening. You've got teaching that is happening. You've got evangelism that's happening. You've got generosity that's happening. You've got prophetic that's happening. This ministry is happening. And what happens is there is a famine <clears throat> and they send Saul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem to bring a gift, this generous gift from the people of Antioch, the church of Antioch there. Now let's read one more section at the end of chapter 12, <clears throat> you move past the phenomenal story of Peter, imprisonment, and release. Look at verse 25. We pick up the story of the church of Antioch in Acts 12, verse 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, which was a mission of generosity and blessing to the church of Jerusalem... <clears throat> They returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And we also know there were um, shepherds, Barnabas, apostles, Paul eventually. So you've got a number of leaders there, and then he lists them off. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had uh, been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, so get that in your mind, there's this, they're worshiping, they're fasting, they're praying, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off to the first church planting expedition that Paul and Barnabas would go on. Now, friends, when I read this church of Antioch, this fills me with desire and passion. And I think it was this church that had the vibrant life of Jesus flowing in it that Jesus looked and said, yes, yes, when I established the church, when I gave uh, the leaders for the church, I was longing for this kind of vibrant ministry to be pumping within the lives and the community of faith. And I'm filled with longing that I'd get to be a part of this community of faith that was pumping with life. And yet I also have another reaction. I hope it, that it's from a place of righteousness, but of righteous disappointment. That when I look at the church and the churches that I've been a part of, that I feel like we've missed it in some ways. And I don't want to be overly critical um, of our community of faith or the general Church, capital C, but I, I want you to hear my heart in this, that I have uh, this, this longing and say, I, I long to have that kind of ministry flowing in the life. I long to be a part of that kind of community of faith. And as I've prayed about that, I feel like the Lord has given, and I'm hoping that it doesn't get lost in translation, perspectives of, of what he wants specifically from our church and as we press into this and the role that he wants us to play in it. All right? So let's talk about that for just a moment. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, use the language of this five ministry streams. I believe there's five ministry streams that the Lord is wanting us to think. Remember, Ask not what I want from my church, but we're asking, thank you, what Jesus wants. Yes, free cup of coffee for you. All right. So what does Jesus want? Well, if he was taking delight in Antioch, I believe that the church of Antioch was teaching about the kingdom of God and its king and the life made available to you and I. Now, now, why is this important? Why do I articulate this? Again, in this beautiful way, Barnabas gets really, really strategic, and he brings, he didn't know that eventually the apostle Paul would pen the majority of the epistles of the New Testament, that his thinking, his teaching would form and shape Christianity for thousands of years ago. He didn't know that, but he goes and he sees something in Paul. And I wonder, what was Paul teaching at that time? Really, uh, Luke doesn't give us a whole lot of exactly what he's teaching. So we have to look at other places of the Old Testament. I would guess that Paul, because he was receiving direct revelation from Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, that a lot of Paul's message looked a lot like Jesus' message. So what was Jesus' message? What was his big idea? The kingdom of God. No, no free cup of coffee for you, Jason. But yes, we know, just to make sure, for those of you who haven't been around for the last several years, what did Jesus teach? Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Now, what was Paul teaching? Did you know that Paul when he articulated a summation of his teaching ministry in Acts 20, he was leaving, um, going to Jerusalem, probably to be mar martyred, or I'm sorry, Rome, probably to be martyred. And this is what he said to the Ephesian church that he was leaving. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. That was a summation of his teaching. Preaching the kingdom. 
Luke, the inspired author of the Gospel of Luke, and all of Acts, when he gives a summation of, Jesus, of Paul's teaching, he does it at the very end of Acts, and we find Paul teaching under house arrest, and it says this, he, Paul, proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. Why is this important? Because, friends, the churches that I grew up in, I didn't hear about the kingdom. And, friends, when I graduated from seminary, trained as a pastor, and was in ministry, no one ever said, hey, by the way, did you know Jesus' big idea is the kingdom of God. Paul's big idea is the kingdom of God. The whole message of the Old and New Testament is the kingdom of God. That it's not just about afterlife insurance. It's not just about getting into heaven someday when you die. It's not just about sin management, that you would know what's right and wrong and you'd wipe, keep your nose clean from committing the, those sins. All those things... We can talk about, but that's not this big idea. What this big idea is about is that Jesus came to die and give us a life that he envisioned for us, the restoration from the inside out. Right here, right now, we get to step into this life of intimacy with the Lord. We get to step into this life that has meaning and purpose and significance. And for a long time, I have been preaching only a small part of the good news of Jesus. And I've often heard a small part of that goodness. And I got to believe that Antioch was filled with Paul's message of the kingdom and of Jesus. In fact, we're told that they weren't even doing, we don't, we're not told of an evangelism strategy. People's lives were being transformed and they're going, yes, and God's favor was drawing people. There's a story of a, a woman who was a part of this congregation a number of years ago, we'll call her Rose. And she unfortunately um, was married to a pastor, a pastor's wife, and he eventually divorced her. And she was a part of a number of churches, small and large, and yet had not given up in G, uh, on Jesus, even in the midst of difficulty, had not given up on the church, even though I'm sure it would have been a huge temptation to do so on her. And she, she was in this community, beautiful spirit, kind spirit, and she left um, at a calling to uh, be a, a beautiful grandmother to her grandchildren. And she wrote me an email. She said, you know, I just wanted to thank you for the, the few years that I had here. She said, I've been a part of a lot of churches. And she wasn't talking about how this church has the best music or even the best preaching. Um, I know it's hard to believe, but <laughs> what she was talking about was the message the message that God desires healing and restoration within in every aspect of her life. And for the two years that she was here, she received that ministry of healing and restoration. That's what I think gives Jesus delight. When we're pressing into the full message. And friends, it's not just from the pulpit. It's in our kingdom life groups. It's in our discipling relationships. It's in our relationships with non-Christians that they need to hear that God loves them, that God cares for them, but then he wants to restore them to the life that they've lost because of our sin. Restore them from that life and grant them kingdom life, eternal life now, that's the teaching ministry that I think Jesus delights in. There's another ministry I'd like to bring your attention to, which is a little bit harder to see, and it's focused on the person of Barnabas. And Barnabas was a shepherd, an encourager, a pastor. 
and he comes, and Luke just gives us just a little piece of what his ministry was, besides going to get Paul, this phenomenal teacher. But look at the, the, the words that are used in um, Barnabas's life and ministry. He comes and arrives, and he's not condemnational because they shared with non-Jews. No, he recognizes the grace of God recognizes the grace of God. He encourages them, and he says, hey, I want to talk to you about your hearts. Stay true to your hearts. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And I believe Barnabas represents a stream of ministry that is growing the kingdom, that next fill in the blank in your outline, growing the kingdom within growing the kingdom within. Why is this important? Because when Jesus talked about the kingdom, he was challenged by some religious leaders and they say, where is the kingdom? And this is what he said. He said, <clears throat> the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that, you can, that can be observed, nor people will say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is... It begins here. It starts there. I want to establish the kingdom first and foremost. You know the, the, my favorite question of Jesus, why are you so dull? When he uses that word, it's to his apostles. And it's because he's saying, no, 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 no. You're looking at the outside of things. You're looking at, at this and that and that and making judgments and all of that. No, don't you get it? It's the heart. It's the soul. It, this is what matters. This is what God is after. This is what the Father delights in. Forget those outward sacrifices. It's the sacrifice of the heart. Are you so dull? I think as a church, we've been a little dull. I think I've been a little dull. I'm not throwing stones from glass houses. I just have to share this. It's a personal story that um, in the first service, I had this thought of Star Trek, which I'm not a Trekkie, you know, usually Star Wars flows, but Star Trek and this byline, I, I can't even get, I should have checked between services, but you know where they talk about getting uh, Star Trek traveling to the frontier, the unknown frontier, you know that direction? Am I getting that right, Star Trek friends? Will some of you admit it? Yes? Final frontier, there it is, yes. Thank you, Darren. And so there's this idea that this globe has been um, discovered, right? We, we've gone to all Antarctica, everywhere, um, and we've discovered that. And so space is the final frontier. I would disagree with that. There's a frontier right here on Earth that is yet to be discovered. You know where that is? We're missing the, the contours of our soul. You know, I feel like in the last, I would say, year that he's been opening up this frontier to me. I was sharing with my wife, I feel like it's just a brand new world that he wants to say, Eric, that in your heart, I don't want that for you. That, that's broken. That's not from me. I'll heal you. Let's look at it together, not with shame, not with guilt. I, I want to heal that. Friends, I think the church has been dull and we've missed this frontier. But Jesus takes delight in the church that says, no, no, no. I want my community of faith to know how valuable the soul is. To gain the whole world is to forfeit, your, and to forfeit your very soul, it is not worth it. What delight would he take? What smile would be on his face if he saw a community of people that said, let's journey together and see what's going on there. Our hearts, that's what God's after, our hearts. Sign me up for that community of faith. I don't want to just do it on my own. 
I was uh, with a, a group of pastors, church planters, this, just this past week, and we were going to have a roundtable discussion, and I was going to lead the discussion, and I, I, it's interesting to hear church planters talk about philosophy and ministry strategy and all those things. I really didn't want to hear that. You know what I wanted to hear? I wanted to hear what was going on here. What was the Spirit saying here? And so we did some listening prayer. We, we did some daily examine together. It was so beautiful. You, these gifted pastors and church planters and leaders saying, boy, I've got this area of insecurity. And the Lord is trying to work with me on that. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, next ministry. We've got the ministry of growing the kingdom within. Uh, spiritual formation. Oh, I, I don't want to miss that scripture. Such a beautiful scripture, Galatians 4.19. I wonder if we have that. Yes, we do. This is Paul, remember. I'm assuming that this is part of Paul's message at the church of Antioch. My dear children, for whom I am again in in the pains of childbirth. So Paul is communicating that he's wrestling deeply on our behalf. What is he wrestling deeply with? Until Christ is formed in you. That Christ is formed in you. Okay, now we can go on. The next ministry that I think... Um, was flowing at the church of Antioch. Again, um, not as easy to see, but the church, Antioch was a church that was graciously sharing, sharing the kingdom with others. They were taking risks with people. They weren't altogether sure if they should be sharing Jesus with non-Christians. And they said, who cares? They need to hear about Jesus. They need, and, and they took a, so it reminds me of Jesus was so gracious, was so kind, was so life-giving to the least of these that he took tons of flack from the religious leaders of his day. In fact, Jesus would say this about himself, the son of man came eating and drinking and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard. How dare he drink with those people? If he knew the nature of woman that was washing his feet, he, he can't be a prophet. A friend of tax collectors and sinners? Ugh. Wouldn't it be awesome to be a church that takes some flack for the people we love? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be awesome if we were taking those sacrificial, I mean, that Jesus was considered a friend of sinners. Are we considered friend of the lowliest and the people in need? Now, I only share this story because Jim Daly, the, the president of Focus on the Family, shared this in public, so I'll, I'll share it. He was taking over Focus on the Family, and... Uh, um, and they were praying about a ministry shift and change. And he met with a, a young pastor in Colorado Springs. And uh, he said, this pastor is a friend of mine. And they met together. And he said, so, so give it to me true, pastor. So, you know, uh, yeah, just speak directly to me. And this young pastor was very bold. And he said this, okay, you want it straight? I'm trying to tell the people of Colorado Str Springs about Jesus and focus on the family is making it really difficult for me. What do you mean by that? He meant that the testimony of the church has become so politicalized, so judgmental, and so condemnational that it is pushing people that are far from God farther away from 
Boy, that was bold, wasn't it? And friends, that grieves me. That grieves me that to be a community of faith that is following Jesus, people should be experiencing the love and the grace of Jesus, not condoning sin. That's, that's the other side, right? The church has two dangers, in my opinion, that we condemn sin and we're known for what we condemn and stand against and argue against, or we condone it and say, that's okay, you, come on in. No, 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 what Jesus did is he came full of grace and truth. Is there a reason why grace is before truth? Because they won't hear the truth without that gracious presence and blessing. What if we were to be and committed to to be that gracious presence of grace and kindness. What would Jesus do? I have plans. I have plans. But we can't share all of that today, okay? But it's coming. We see the stream of ministry of sharing the gospel in the grace and truth of Jesus. Jesus said, love God first and most important thing. And here's the second thing. Love your... What if we took that literally? What if we allowed the grace and the truth of Jesus and we loved our neighbors in their neighborhoods. Boy, I'd love to be about a church that way. Love to see it. Next ministry flowing out of Antioch was a church that is praying the kingdom. Notice how they were, they had a prophetic ministry, Agabus, he comes, and then in chapter 13, they're praying, they're fasting, they're listening, and the translators are forced to put quotes around the Holy Spirit's words. <laughs> I love that. And the Spirit said, all right? Now, now think about this. This was a strate strategic turn in the life of the church of Antioch, and they were giving their best leaders, uh, Paul and Barnabas to go on a missionary journey, a church planting journey. And what did they do? They, they didn't focus on church growth strategies or best business practices. I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm not saying best business practices and church growth strategies are bad. It's good to think and talk about those things. But what were they focused on? Hearing the voice of their shepherd. Friends, it grieves me that there's a whole group of churches that would hear the phrase prophetic ministry and have no idea what to do with that. No idea. It also grieves me that there's a whole group of churches that represent prophetic ministries and they've done it in really unhealthy ways. So much so that the other churches said, mm, I don't like that. And we've got these churches, and yet the church of Antioch represents a church that is empowered by the Spirit of God, but doing it in healthy ways that it's releasing ministry, that they're testing the Spirit. What, what the prophetic word. Do, do you see this picture of a church that is, yes, empowered by the Holy Spirit, but they're wrestling together and saying, hey, we, we want this to be a spirit thing, a God thing, not a, not a leader thing, not an unhealthy perspective. We're gonna humbly listen together. It was a church that was praying, praying. And how did they pray? Well, I'm guessing that they looked back to the Gospels and said, how did Jesus teach us to pray? He taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy 
kingdom come? What does it look like, Jesus? What do you want us to do here in Antioch to see your kingdom come and your will be done? Would you speak to us? What do you want to do here in Colorado Springs for your kingdom? We're listening, God. Would you teach us? I would love to be a part of a church that's listening, that's empowered to what the Spirit is saying. The voice of our shepherd, he told us we would recognize our voice, his voice. And then finally this, final ministry. The church of Antioch had moved from a ministry center to a hub of ministry. And they were a church that were sacrificially spreading the kingdom of God, spreading the kingdom of God. We have a map, it's hard to see. Sorry that it's hard, but let's see if we can get this. Do you see that arrow? I'll give you a guess. What in this area is the arrow pointing to? Antioch, yes. Do you know that Paul, in his missionary journeys, was released from Antioch with Barnabas, church planting, church planting, forming the church, forming the church, and guess where he returned to? Antioch, yes. <laughs> Are you so dull? No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Do you see where I'm going? Do you, do you see? It, guess where Paul was released from his second missionary journey? Yes, there you go. And guess where he returned? Oh, this kingdom ministry is flowing from this community of faith. It become in God and Jesus was doing this beautiful and neat thing right in their midst. You've got all this flowing. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to spread this. This is too good. They get it. Spread this. And it becomes this hub of ministry where they're sharing. And in fact, it's a fulfillment of Jesus, what he would uh, later say and refer to the gospel, Matthew 24, 14, when he was talking about his return, he would say this, and this gospel, what gospel? Did you know that was in there? The gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. You know, friends, we're already starting to live this. That's the story of Pastor Ben. I believe he was filled with this kingdom DNA. And God had plans for him. And he had this apostolic ministry of going and planting a church. And we said, amen. Let's get behind him and support him in that that he could live out that kingdom DNA in his particular context. Now, friends, one response to this message is this. Wow, Pastor Eric, that is a great vision. I hope you and the staff have a lot of fun. <laughs> That's one response, right? Okay, it's better than, that's a horrible vision, so I'll take that one. But what I, I would like a better response, all right? Now, this idea of the, the five streams of ministry, as much as I'd love to claim it as my own, it's not. It's not. not. In fact, these five streams of ministry, I, I'm overlaying the Church of Antioch with another passage of Scripture Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And this passage of scripture, I believe most of the church, at least in the West, has missed. And it's not just about leaders, it's about ministry of the church. It says this, so Christ himself gave some to be apostles. What, what do apostles do? In the simplest form, I can say, they spread the kingdom. They're the entrepreneurs. They're the pastor of Ben Brooks. 
that Christ himself gave some to be prophets. What do prophets do? They pray the kingdom. They listen for the voice of the king. They minister the kingdom in the gifts. They speak out the kingdom. So Christ himself gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists. What do evangelists do? They share the kingdom. They tell about Jesus. The gospel of the kingdom will be spread. Some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, and actually a literal translation of that word is shepherd, shepherds or pastors. What do they do is they shepherd the soul. They care for the soul just like Jesus was the great shepherd of our soul. They grow the kingdom first and foremost within the soul. And then finally, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and he gave some to be teachers. What do they teach? See it? Now here's the part I don't want you to miss. Here's their job description. What's the role of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher? What are they supposed to do? To do all the work themselves? Uh-uh. To... Equip. Equip his people for the works of service. Let's read that together. Starting at equip. To equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Boy, we've been dull. Leaders have been dull to that truth. We want to do it better. That it's our job for you. Do you know that you have been gifted? Do you know that you have at least a gift, probably several gifts that God has given you and it's my job. It's our job as leaders, the staff team and consistory to help you discover your gifts and live them out and be a part of a vibrant kingdom life church and ministry center. So friends, I can't do it. I can't build this. I'm not gifted enough. I, I, I can't. I can't. I'm not meant to. The consistory and the staff, they are great, gifted folks. Us together, we can't do it. We can't do it. We need you. We need you. I'm inviting you to build this with me. To build this kind of dynamic kingdom church. Make some mistakes with us. Because if I'm involved, we're going to make some mistakes. All right? We're just going to do it. But to have grace with one another and, and learn together. And over the next seven years, to press in and say, what would it look like if these five streams of ministry were flowing here at SCC? What would it look like for us to be a church that Jesus smiles at, that takes great delight? Would you build it with me? Would you look at your bulletin? There's a little bit of response, and we're going to take the offering together. And I'd like you to prayerfully look at this and fill your name out on it. The worship team would like to come forward. And do you see this response card? Just walk through this with me real briefly. And I know that we come at all different places. But if you put your name down there, whether you're a guest or a regular attender, already a partner in ministry. One response might be, boy, this sounds neat and exciting. I'm not quite sure where I fit. I, I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know how God is calling me to, to plug into this community of faith. At Kingdom Partners, we're, we've reshaped that 
under a five-fold ministry. And we want to help you not only learn more and more about this vision and direction that Jesus is working in our midst, but also learn about your gifts and how you might connect in these gifts with your gifts. So Kingdom Partners might be a great place, even if you've taken the membership class before that we don't call membership class anymore. Even if you've taken that before and you would like to spend some time hearing about this fresh vision and your gifts, would you come um, to the lunch? Let us know you're coming. Kingdom Life Groups, we're starting those. You can sign up with Natalie in the atrium. That's a place where we get to know each other more and understand the kingdom together and ask questions together across a living room table and say, what in the world did Pastor Eric mean when he said that? It is a great place to be known and grow and discover. If you're not part of that one, I would encourage you to sign up with your name and we'll get back to you. Leadership development. We are piloting that right now and we're doing it in the structure of these five streams of ministry. Remember, I didn't think this up. It was Jesus that did that. If you want to go at a deeper level, put that. And then if there's one particular ministry, if you've been around for a while and one of those streams of ministry was intriguing to you, that final box is for you because we're going to be listening and praying and fasting together how the Lord wants us to live out that particular stream, all five. Would you mark that? Can we pray together over the offering? (coughs) So Holy Spirit, we are back to lead us, direct us, guide us Lord as individuals and as a church how would you have us engage in this ministry just want to pray for some of us immediately we had barriers in our mind some of those barriers were life circumstances we live in different places we're Occupied with a variety of things. Lord, we want to push through those barriers. We want to be a part of what you're doing. Would you not let a barrier hold you back from putting your name down, checking that box and dropping that in the offering basket as it goes by? We love you, Jesus, and we give you all of this We give you our lives, our time, our treasure, our talents.